Welcome to a Millennial Preacher Podcast, where we have real conversations about church and faith. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Millennial Preacher Podcast today. It is great to have you here. Here we are, seven weeks into quarantine. And uh, again, if you guys ever want to write me, shoot me an email, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at LibertyChurchSalem.com. Would love to hear from you guys. As well as, if you would like, you can tune into my church's live streaming service, which is going to be on YouTube. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at Liberty Church Salem, or search for Liberty Christian Church Salem, Oregon. Or you can find us on Facebook, Liberty Church Salem. And we live stream our services directly to Facebook, hopefully to YouTube soon. So just want to say thank you guys for tuning in and listening. We're closing up on the book of John today. We're going to be in John chapter 21. It's called the epilogue of the book of John. Jesus appears to his seven disciples. And I hope you can join us for our next episode. So make sure if you have not subscribed, subscribe now because we're going to walk through the book of Job And I really hope you guys can join us for this one. We're going to reflect on pain and suffering and humility. So it's going to be something you you will not want to miss. So again, subscribe and uh, you'll be notified of all future episodes. We'll probably post our first episode later this week through the book of Job. It'll be on Apple Podcasts and all platforms. But here we go. Let's finish up the book of John chapter 21. And this sermon series that I've done through the book of John, it has just spoken to me more than any other sermon series I've ever done. I've been in ministry for almost 10 years now. I just turned 30 last week. I I got my foot in the door interning at a church when I was 20 with worship and whatnot. And then I kind of just took all the opportunities God has given me. But in all the preaching I've done for about five years, I have never had a series speak to me like this has, just reflecting on the words of Jesus in the book of John. But here we go. Chapter 21 says, Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. So this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. Beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Take note that Thomas is back. Last episode, we reflected on John 20, the the common reference of doubting Thomas. And he was not a part of the church community. The group of disciples praying behind the locked door. Then he is a part of the community. Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. Again, if you haven't listened to the last episode, take a listen to it. But now Thomas is back with a group. Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples as well. So Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Here's the deal. He's going back to what he knows. And man, we are so guilty of this. When we start facing some anxiety or trials in our life, and again, this is kind of an interesting time for the disciples. Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit was going to fall, yet they probably are like, I don't feel any different. We've seen Jesus. We're still terrified of these Jewish leaders. Jesus has appeared twice, and I mean, we don't know anything. I don't think they were connecting the dots yet about the Holy Spirit, and Jesus had not yet ascended into heaven. So again, the Holy Spirit had not fallen. So they're kind of like, you know, what are we going to do now? Jesus, uh, he pops in here and there, but we don't feel any different. We don't know what we're supposed to do. So um, we're just going to go fishing. He goes back to what is normal. 
in our lives, we're like, oh, well, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to click back into what I what I know. Uh, I could do this, but I'm just going to scroll through Facebook. And I'm telling you, man, I feel so convicted. Man, it's got to be some type of addiction, right, with social media and cell phones and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and news. Man, you can just sit there scrolling aimlessly for hours, hours. You look at your phone, the diagnostics or whatever, like your screen time, man, it's depressing. It's depressing. And what I've been asking myself, is even with all the news and all the stuff going on, is one, do you really remember it long term? Is there like some news story that happens one day? And then, I mean, you got to be responsible in what's going on in the world. Yeah, I get that. But oftentimes we sc- scroll through something, read it, and then we forget about it. And it's like, that was just a waste of time. We're just wasting time. I, I feel so, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm talking to myself here. I feel guilty. I feel shameful myself because I spend so much time. I should be uh, doing something more productive than just scrolling through aimlessly. Yeah, you can. I'm not saying all social media is bad, but I'm saying we need to be careful that we don't just waste our time. I'm a person that loves relationships, so maybe I can invest that in relationally messaging people. I don't know. I'm just trying to think out loud here. But anyways, Simon Peter just goes back to what is normal, right? He knows fishing. He uh, made a living from fishing before he started following Jesus. And what's interesting as well is here they are fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Simon Peter was called to follow Jesus in the first place. Jesus walks by and says, follow me. It says he leaves all of his stuff, sells it, and he follows Jesus. And back then, it, we believe that Peter owned his boat, he sold it. And that means he was fairly successful. He was, he was a hardworking man. He made a good living for himself. But here we go. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, going back to what he knows. And then the disciples say, we'll come too. They all said, so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Man, talk about depressing, right? So they believed in the ancient world that fishing at night was the best chances to catch, the best time to catch fish. And what I've heard is that you fished approximately 100 yards off the shore. And fishing in the evening time they would hang torches or, or put torches up on the boat etc so if you saw it from the shore it actually looked very beautiful these people working all night long casting these nets off etc torches on the boat fishing in the evening time and they're fishing all night long working their butts off and do they catch anything no zero fish and so the sun starts coming up man i would just be pissed i'll be honest you work all that all that night to get no money. There's no fruits from your labor. There is no fish you can throw in the fire to eat. I would be ticked. So it says at dawn, the sun's coming up, discouraged fishermen out there. Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. It could have been because he was 100 yards away. That's pretty far. So you just kind of see like the shadow of an image. And there's other stories that says Jesus kind of hid himself from people so they didn't recognize who he was, as well as imagine again the last time the disciples saw Jesus, besides the times he appeared to them, uh, he was being crucified on the cross. So seeing Jesus in his new heavenly body, it would be hard to recognize him as well. And he's again 100 yards away. So he's yelling at these guys and he says, hey, fellows, have you caught any fish? And I, I would be slightly annoyed if I was them. I'd be like, yeah, great, yeah, rub it in, sure. Um, I've, we have not caught any fish. They just replied, no. I love that response because that would also be my response. Hey, guys, you caught any fish? No. Leave me, <laughs> leave me alone. 
Verse 6, and then Jesus says, Well, throw your net out on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. And they're like, who is this guy? Like, what is happening right now? Like, we've just worked our tails off, and this guy thinks he knows better than we do? We're perfect. Like, we, we, we... We catch fish. It's what we do. And this guy's standing on the side, and he's just telling us what to do. One, it's God's guidance. And here's the deal. Sometimes we cast the net, even in church ministry in our lives. We're like, this is what we want to happen. We keep casting our nets on one side, and God doesn't open any doors, and there's no fish. And we're like, why, why, why? And God says, well, try throwing the net on the other side. Try something different. Try something new. Follow where I'm leading you. Stop worrying about your own plan and start following my plan, and then you'll see some fruits do your labor. So it says they did. They cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat. And it says they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. Can you just imagine what's going through their heads right now? One, the boat will eventually come back to shore, but they, they literally cannot get the net in the boat. And so they're dragging it. They're dragging the net through the water back to shore. And verse 7. It says that the disciple Jesus loved, who is John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. Tradition in the ancient world, fishing, yeah, you wouldn't be wearing much. You'd probably be getting all soaking wet from the water and be kind of gross. You want to get your clothes dirty. So he wants to be prepared to meet his Lord. He puts on his clothes, even though it means his clothes are going to get soaking wet. And he stripped for work to make sure his clothes didn't get dirty and wet. And now what does he do when he's getting his clothes all wet? He doesn't care because he wants to see Jesus. And he wants to be prepared and uh, in honor to meet Jesus. Verse 8, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. So they pulled the net to the shore. Verse 9, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When Jesus has a discouraged group of people, he says, you guys, sit around the fire. Let me cook you breakfast. How often do we do things like this? Never. Well, sometimes, I guess. Maybe not never. But Jesus encourages them. He cooks them food. They're discussing life around a fire. This is him investing into his disciples. And he calls us as the church to make, go and make disciples. This is what he means. And I felt convicted. I'll be honest with you. We're in the middle of quarantine. I felt convicted that I have placed too much value on our Sunday morning services. I think Sunday mornings are incredible and they're important. Yes. But I think we get consumed and in the thought process that that is church and it is it's the gathering of believers that we come and encourage but we are sent people not just for services on Sundays we're supposed to live this out every single day of our lives we are the church we are sent people we're called to make disciples do as Jesus has done serve people cook them breakfast and encourage them are we doing that and I thought when I was reading through uh, John chapter 21, like, why did John come back? And most theologians believe that John came back later and added chapter 21. See, there's rumors that even happen today that people think, well, Jesus didn't actually resurrect from the dead. In fact, he probably is just a hallucination. It's, it's a fairly common belief. 
that Jesus did not raise from the dead in real life, but the disciples just saw some hallucination. And this theory or belief could have been spreading even in John's day. So he comes back and adds John 21 and is basically saying, look, you guys, Jesus was not a hallucination. He was a, a real person. I saw his body. In fact, he cooked breakfast for us and he ate with us. He's a real person. He has no hallucination because Christianity hinges on Jesus' resurrection. Paul says in I believe it's 1st or 2nd Corinthians. Listen, if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, all of our faith is in vain. We're still in our sin right now. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, but he he did. So Johnson, he's not a hallucination. There's Jesus sitting around this fire cooking breakfast for his disciples. He says, verse 10, bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore there were 153 large fish, and the net hadn't torn. I've read some interesting articles about the number 153, and you can look it up, Google it sometime. Why is there 153 fish in the net? There's some really weird beliefs. Someone said, like, well, it's like the Ten Commandments times 10 is 100. plus. They seem kind of like fishy, and they say, well, John, he always does things for a reason. Why did he include the exact number 153? I don't know. Another theory, which is my favorite, but I, I don't know how much uh, truth there is to it, said, well, there's 153 different types of fish in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is signifying that the message of the gospel is now going to the entire world. And it is true that in the, the net, it did not tear. Now, what's interesting is when... Jesus originally calls Peter to follow him probably about three years before. You could read about in Luke chapter 5. I'll read you a verse, Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Jesus called Peter. He says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who will be called Peter, now go out where it's deeper. He wasn't catching any fish again. Let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. So this is almost the exact same scenario in John 21, which happens in Luke 5. Luke 5, Peter did not catch any fish all night long. Jesus, uh, who was considered a teacher, people uh, respected him. He says, Peter, just go out, try again. And at this time, it says, verse 6, Luke chapter 5. At this time, their nets were so full that the fish a fish that the nets began to tear. So Jesus had not yet defeated sin and death. And it's signifying that uh, it wasn't ready. The church wasn't ready. But now that Jesus ha was killed and resurrected, he, he was crucified and resurrected. He defeated sin and death. And now we see in John 21, the net doesn't tear. Jesus is signifying that now there's room in the church for everybody. I came and I died for, for everyone. John 3, 16, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So you can look in the weird theories about why there's exactly 153, but my favorite one is that there's 153 different types. Again, I don't know how much um, truth there is to that, but I'm going, I'm going with it. But it, it's signifying, it is signifying, I believe, that because Jesus now defeated sin and death, there's room for the church for everyone. So in verse 12, he says, now let's go, come have some breakfast. Jesus said, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? So again, they might not have, they, they might have still had a hard time recognizing him. It says they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples since he has been raised, since, since he had been raised from the dead. 
So they'd seen him one time, probably fairly briefly, without Thomas. Second time with Thomas. And this was the third time that they had seen him. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is a famous passage. We'll reflect on it in just a minute, but I'm just going to read it real quick. So Jesus says first, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus replied, repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you, so then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What's the significance of this? One, yes, it correlates to Peter denying Jesus three times. Jesus is giving him a chance to rebound, basically. Peter, show me that you're all in. And there are some theories that says, uh, the, the, in the Greek, there's different types of love, right? In, in English language, it's one, it's very confusing. English, English language is just weird, but we use the word love for a variety of things. Hey man, I love you versus I love you to your wife. Two different types of love, but we would just uh, know in the context of the conversation. But in, in Greek, they had different types of love. You may know this. There's a philia love, which is like a friendship type of love. And there's agape love, which is God's selfless. It's a selfless love. So when Jesus asks Peter the first time, it says, do you love me? He uses agape love. And then Peter responds with a philia love, with the friendship love. And this goes back and forth. But then at the end, when Jesus asks Peter a third time, he uses the same type of love, the word that Peter was using. So the first two times Jesus asked the question, he uses the word agape for love. And Peter responds with the filial type of love, the friendship love. But then the third time when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses filio instead of agape. Is there significance to that? I'm not sure. You can look into it yourself. But what's the point? Jesus is saying, look, Peter, and it says this in verse 18. Jesus says, Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. But, and he said this to show what kind of death would glorify God. He would give to glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. You see, the only way we can prove that we love Jesus is by loving other people. And love brought Jesus, sorry, love brought Peter to a cross. Remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. He said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And love brought Peter to a cross. And this really just pumps me up, right? Jesus is basically telling Peter, saying, Peter, check this out, man. You're going to die a terrible death. But follow me. Man, it just motivates me because Jesus is saying, listen, your life's going to be hard. You're going to face a lot of tribulations and persecution. If you remember what Jesus said a couple chapters before, he says, the world will hate you. If the world hated me, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first, Jesus tells his disciples during the Last Supper. Yet he still says, follow me. Of course, it reminded me of a Lord of the Rings reference. For some reason, I always get so many good Lord of the Rings illustrations, right? But it's like when Aragorn is encouraging his, his warriors at the end, when Frodo is going to the Mount, uh, I guess, I mean, man, I'm such a terrible Lord of the Rings fan. I don't remember what the name of the mountain is. 
I want to say like Mount Doom, but I think that's like, maybe that's right, man. Please send me a terrible email if that's wrong. But Frodo's going up and Aragorn's encouraging the people saying, hey, let's do this for Frodo. And they all, and he encourages them and basically says, follow me to the death. That's basically what Jesus is saying. He says, Peter, some terrible things are going to happen. Sickness, death. And this is what he says to us as followers of Jesus. You will, you will face sickness. You will face death. You will, you will go to terrible chaplain calls. In my scenario, I, I recently went to a chaplain call with the death of a two-year-old. It was terrible. It's terrible. You will face things like the coronavirus, global pandemics, quarantines. You'll be persecuted. The world will hate you. But Jesus says, follow me. Follow me through everything. Follow me. Verse 20 says, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Again, he's saying, follow me. And we'll talk about this in a minute. But let's talk about this correlation again. Jesus calls Peter approximately three years before, almost in the exact same scenario. And come on, Peter would have remembered this. He's not that dumb. He would have remembered this. And you can read about it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So they left everything to follow Jesus. And again, Jesus is saying to Peter now, Peter, leave everything again. Follow me. Now I've defeated sin, I've defeated death, I will be uh, ascending to the Father, and I will send you the Holy Spirit, you won't be alone, follow me to the end, follow me to death. That just motivates me, encourages me. That In this time of crisis, even we're walking through the coronavirus stuff and whatnot, Jesus says, continue to follow me. I've got a plan, I, I exist outside of space and time, I see the beginning and the end, I'm in control Follow me through it all. Do not take your eyes off Jesus. When Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus in the storm, he starts to sink, and we do the same thing. The same thing. But then Peter, as we, as we read, kind of turns the conversation around and says, well, Jesus, what about John? What are you going to do? What about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Now, this does not mean that John is still alive today. I've actually read and seen some theories that people believe that John, the Apostle John, is still alive today, that he was going to be around until Jesus returns again. I don't think that's true. But it says in verse 23, the rumor spread among the community believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that wasn't what Jesus said at all. And this is a reliable source because this is John who says it. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Basically saying, Peter, that's not your job. And really, Peter and John, the, the foundations of the church, they had two different roles in the beginning of the church. Peter's role was to be the shepherd. Jesus says to follow me. And Peter was going to live an incredible life pursuing Jesus, but he was going to die a terrible death. 
But his job was to follow Jesus. Well, John's job was to follow Jesus too, but it just looked differently because John's job was to be the witness. John lived a long life. We have his gospel. We have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and we have Revelation. Peter's job was to do what he did. John's job was to do what he did. God has different roles for all of us, and that is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Hey, Peter, do what you know you are called to do, and John will do what he is called to you to do. And for you, listener, whoever's listening right now, our mission and your job is to simply do what God has called you to do. Now, there is great um, responsibility in that. And sometimes people use that out of context, say, God told me to do this and I have to do it. Well, you better be an immense prayer. I would encourage you to get some wise counsel from other followers of Jesus that you greatly respect because sometimes our own pride gets in the way and what's actually from the Holy Spirit is from us. So be careful in that, but simply do what God has called you to do. Peter is to be the shepherd of the church. John was to be the witness. It says in verse 24, this disciple is the one who testifies, look at that about John, to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. I just want to encourage you as well. I've been really thinking about this coronavirus era and it's really made me evaluate how we've done church knowing that you know i think i've put too much emphasis as i said on sunday morning services but that's not the end of church that's just the beginning right we're sent people and i will never take the gathering of believers for granted again it is a gift and we are to use it to encourage one another and send people out to, to make disciples, to gather around the fire and feed one another and encourage one another as Jesus does with his disciples. Jesus says, through all the chaos, through all the suffering, through everything that the world can throw at you, follow me. Thanks for listening, guys. And I'll catch you on the next one. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Millennial Preacher Podcast today. If you have any questions you'd like to submit or just say hi, email me at Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N at LibertyChurchSalem.com. Would love to hear from you, hear your thoughts, and just be able to encourage you, as well as you can check out our church website, LibertyChurchSalem.com, or find us on Facebook at Liberty Church Salem. We live stream there every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., or you can find our YouTube channel, Liberty Church Salem. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon.